Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. You guys can be seated. I see some, uh, some new stuff up here. This is nice. Praise the Lord. Uh, even mints, what are you guys trying to tell me? You guys had a meeting when I was gone. Praise the Lord. So uh, I want to start off by just uh, thanking our, our elders and, and their wives for being great elders in our absence and taking care of the church and taking care of uh, the things that the Lord would have them to do. I also want to thank all of our ministry leaders and uh, that includes our life group hosts for being great ministry leaders and hosts in our absence. And then I, finally, I want to thank all of our members for being great members in our absence and just serving the Lord and being faithful to what, what God is doing here. Um, I also want to say about, about Thanksgiving, uh, I'm excited about that. It's our first time doing something outside of here. It's our first time. Usually we're, we're laboring so hard, all of our people here cooking and providing for each other. So to have it catered and to do it outside of here, and like Gary said, really the goal is is to reach out to others. I think my family is blessed because three of our five are under that 12-year mark, <laughs> so we don't have to buy tickets. But we're going to buy tickets for them anyway because we want to invest into what God's doing here, and we also want to have more tickets to invite strangers. We're going to have multiple speakers there that night, so just prepare yourselves for a good time of fellowship and food and being served and not necessarily having to serve. So I think God's going to move. Amen? Amen? Amen. 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 So... I'm not sure exactly what the Lord has uh, for our next series. Obviously, we're coming into the holidays and our eyes are set on Christmas, celebrating the birth of Christ. Hopefully, people are excited about that as Christians. Um, I do feel, though, that I need to lift up the name of Jesus as a reminder for myself, as a reminder for our church of who he is, uh, what he's done for us, and why we're here. Amen? Amen? So that's kind of all I can tell you about where I expect for us to go for the next month and a half as we, as we finish out the year. Um, I titled the message this morning, Longing. Um, not so much for the content of the message, but more so for the place that I'm going to be preaching it from this morning. I've really enjoyed and learned a lot over the last five weeks of, of being gone from this place. I think it's going to take me some, some time to process all the things that, that God's been speaking to me and sharing with me and the people who have prayed for us and spoken words over us and, and just a lot of good things that God has been doing. Uh, I'll be away with the, with the elders this week to get some time to start processing some of that. So uh, I think there's a lot of work that the Lord still wants to do. But there are some things that I do know already. Uh, the first is that I've been longing to be with the Lord here in this place. Amen. Just longing to be back with God in the place where I meet with him the most, yes. where I'm the most comfortable. There's no place like home. Amen? Is that scripture or is that Dorothy? There's no place like home. Um, 
I've also been longing to be in worship with this group of people. You know, one of the things I realized, um, uh, we decided to take time away from church in general. Sometimes on break, you'll visit other churches and things. And we didn't do any of that until till the last weekend. We were at a conference, a leadership conference. And stepping back into a worship service, like, my heart was longing for it. I didn't realize how much I was missing worship. Uh, some of the things that we take for granted. But I'll be honest with you, when that worship service was over, I started longing even more to be in worship here with this group of people. Um, and the last thing I've been longing for is to be all the way back here with uh, my friends and my family here in this church at The Way. You know, last week it felt kind of awkward. We were here, but we weren't really here. And, and uh, I began to think, I wonder what it's like for people who are here, but not really here, like, like halfway committed to certain things. Because it, it was weird. I was like, we're not really back, but we're back. And, and uh, so I've been longing to be all the way in, both feet, happy to be back. And uh, so that's why I titled the message longing. You know, uh, I think we have a picture, right? Attention, do not leave your longings unattended. There's probably many things that, that some of us, if we take a minute just to think about it, that you've been longing for. I want to encourage you guys not to leave your longings unattended. I'm so happy to be back in this place, worshiping with you guys and all the way back with you, um, not leaving my longings unattended. Genesis chapter 31 verse 30 says, now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. This scripture is about Jacob and he's leaving with uh, leaving Laban, who's his father-in-law, and Laban saying to him, you're leaving because you've been longing for your father's house. Uh, for me, it definitely applies. I'm leaving this sabbatical and this furlough time behind because I've been longing to be back in my father's house. In Philippians 1.8, Paul says, God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this scripture is about Paul talking to the men and women, the believers in uh, Philippi, the Philippian church. And he's saying, God is my witness that I'm longing for you with love. And it applies to me this morning because uh, I've been longing to see all of your faces. Amen. Longing to be back here, like I said, with those that I love. So I want to pray and then I want to share what, uh, what the Lord has this morning. Amen. So Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be back in your house. I thank you for this opportunity uh, to be back in just a place of comfort uh, where we can worship you freely, Lord, where we can lift up our voices and, uh, and gather together um, without inhibition, Lord God, and without holding anything back, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to be back with friends, with family, with brothers, with sisters, Lord, with, uh, with those that you've ordained for us to be in relationship with, Lord. I've just been longing for this opportunity uh, to celebrate and to lift you up, Lord. It's not about me. It's not about uh, your other sons and daughters who are here, Lord. It's all about you. We have nothing without you. <clears throat> There's no reason to gather if it's not in your name, Lord. So we just ask that you would uh, bless this time, that you would continue to bless this time, Lord. That uh, if there are others here this morning who have been longing for something, Lord, that I just pray that they would not leave it unattended, Lord. That they would pursue those things, that they would seek them out and that you would bless them. So just have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> All right. Amen. In Romans chapter 4, Paul's talking about the faith of Abraham and how faith led to righteousness uh, before Abraham was ever circumcised. The whole point is that righteousness comes through faith, not by keeping the law. Abraham's the father of the faith, and it says... Um, Paul in Romans is talking about how he just believed God. 
It was accounted to him for righteousness. It wasn't about his circumcision. It wasn't about the law that came later. It wasn't about his faithfulness and all these things. It was just the fact that he believed God. In Romans 4.17, the same area, it says, Even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, in hope against hope, he believed. In hope against hope, he believed. So I'm going to break this down a little bit. God is characterized here as the one who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. This definition is coming about who God is. He's the one that gives life to things that are dead, and he calls things into existence that do not exist. It's amazing. Abraham is our father in the faith, and he's characterized as one who in hope against hope believes. In hope against hope believes. I'll explain what that means here in a, min in a minute. When it comes to God, existence, right? Bringing things into existence and calling things to life. There are a lot of things in this world that exist that don't have life. If you go through the creation story, he creates the heavens, he creates the earth, he creates the sea. All these things exist, but they don't have life. There are a lot of things in areas of our life that exist, but don't have life. God has to bring life into these areas. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. He already existed. God created. God formed. God uh, brought this man or this person into existence, just like everything else that was brought into existence. But then he has to breathe life into you for you to become a living being. Back to Abraham. Hope against hope. Still leading to belief is when things don't add up, but still you choose the answer that God can and God will. Things don't add up. Still you choose the answer that God can and God will. So imagine you search into your wallet and you start flipping through the bills and then you realize there's not bills, there's just one bill and it's a $5 bill and you hope that it's enough to feed you after church. All right, you with me? Say amen. And then all of a sudden, hope against hope means you look in your wallet, you start flipping through the bills, you realize there's only a $5 bill, and you say, Lord, I need to feed everybody in the church. So you have hope that you can do it, but you're hoping against hope. Your reality is $5 is not enough to feed all these people. What he's saying is about Abraham is that in hope against hope, he still believed. In hope, here's my $5. Against hope, five is not enough, yet he still believes. It doesn't add up, but you still say yes. You still say God can. You still say God will. That's how a man of faith is being described here, and that's how God is being described here. Many of us come from a place of nothing, and then we add to that not very much. <laughs> you started with nothing, and now you've got a little bit more than nothing, but not very much. And some of us look at our future and we can't figure out how these deficiencies and how this lack is going to amount to some kind of increase. I started with nothing. I brought to the table not very much. How is it going to work where I'm going to have increase and I'm going to have blessings and I'm going to have an abundance and I'm going to have a sufficient amount of everything? Not only my finances and resources, but my friendships and relationships, but my time, right? but joy, all these things that we want to have. Our past and even our current reality have to be brought to God in hope and against hope. We have to be able to say, God, here's what I've got. Here's what I'm bringing to the table. 
I know what it looks like and I know what the value actually amounts to. I know what I want to have. It's not enough. But against hope, against this understanding that the calculations do not add up, it doesn't matter. I'm still going with you. I'm still hearing you say, yes, you can. I'm still hearing you say, yes, you will. But how do we get there? We trust the God that calls things into existence that do not exist. We trust the God that brings dead things to life. He makes provisions for this. What provisions has God given us to be able to live leaning into that in hope kind of life rather than pulling back to that against hope reality? You get to make a choice. Either you're going to lean into the in hope, I believe that God can do this, or you're going to lean back into the it doesn't make sense, it doesn't add up, it's not going to happen, it's never happened before, it didn't happen for my family, it didn't happen for my parents, it hasn't happened for me yet. I'm going to lean back into that it ain't going to happen against hope or you're gonna lean forward into the in hope, I believe he can. What are the provisions that God has made for this? I got a quick video that I wanna share for you about these two different realities, one you can lean into or one that you can lean out of, and then uh, we'll move on. Go ahead, Ray.
All right. So there's a lot of things that'll preach here. Number one, my, my daughter, I bought this while I was on break and watch it with her. And my daughter thinks that she's Wonder Woman. And I want to encourage that in her life. Uh, there's a couple other things like the fact that the man is getting saved by the woman. It's so sad that that has to happen. But that's what happened in my life, too. If it wasn't for Mary, I wouldn't be saved. But I also thought it was pretty cool how uh, she looks at him and she's so surprised. You're a man. This world, there's not a lot of men out there, right? So women are actually surprised when they find one or see one. But none of that is what I'm preaching on today, so say that for another day. What I want to talk about is that portion where, in the very beginning, he comes shooting into this reality. He comes shooting into this world that he didn't know existed, right? And then these other soldiers that are chasing him behind, they get to that point where, uh, as they're trying to get to him, he reaches his hand through and he realizes that he's gone into this other reality, right? And he pulls his hand back. That's the picture that I want to stay in your mind as we go through the rest of this message of you're either going to lean into a new reality or you're going to pull back into the old reality, right? The old reality is dark. The old reality, the, the man said, he said, where did all this fog come from, right? They're in this dark place, but there is another reality that you can press into and that you can go into and that you can actually live in. And these are the kind of things that the Lord is talking about when we talk about heaven and earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It truly is two different realities that God is talking about. And he's asking us if we will press in and lean into the one. So that's the picture it paints of these two different realities. So what are those provisions? What we're talking about is what has God provided for us so that we can lean into that, uh, that particular reality of being in hope rather than leaning back into against hope? What has he provided for us? Um, Abraham knew where he was from. Abraham knew that he was old. Abraham knew that he was barren, that his wife was barren, right? That's one side uh, of the reality. But he didn't lean back into that. He leaned forward into the promises of God. The provisions that God has given us to be able to lean forward are Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. The church. Say the church. The church. And the church. Say the church. The church. <laughs> God has given us Jesus, the church, and the church for us to be able to lean forward into another reality uh, that he's offering to us. So number one, Jesus. God has offered us forgiveness of sins in Christ. Instead of leaning back into our guilt, we can lean forward into forgiveness. And we can actually lean forward into righteousness. We are not guilty men and women who are out in the world evading the law. Sometimes as Christian, that's how we feel because we know where we've come from. We know what we've done. We know uh, ourselves better than anybody else knows ourselves. So we understand what Jesus did on the cross, but we live as if we are guilty when we're walking around in the world, right? And we're evading the law. If anybody finds out who I really am, if anybody finds out what I've really done, I'm going to have to pay the price for this. That's leaning back into your old reality. Jesus says, I want you to lean forward into the new reality, which is you are actually righteous, you are actually forgiven. You are no longer guilty, and you should not be walking around in the world as if you are. Amen. We are justified, which means we live just as if we've never sinned. Not just as if it's been covered up, but just as if you've never sinned. Because of Jesus, we have a right to be right. Let me say that again. Because of Jesus, you have a right to be right. You have a right to be righteous. You get to proclaim that over yourself. And one day, Abraham went from being a local man without children to being a world-traveling father of billions. In one day. Why? 
because Jesus said so. <laughs> he has a right to claim that now. He was just a local guy, apparently a good guy, barren, no family, no future generations. He says, there's somebody that's a servant in my house, and he's the heir to everything that I have. And God says, that is not the truth about you. That's a lie that you're leaning back into. The truth about you is that you're going to be the father of millions and billions. And the truth about you is that you're not going to be local. You are going to be a missionary. You're going to be worldwide. And that changed in an instant in his life. But he had to lean into that reality to see those things come into place. To see those things come into reality, he had to lean into that reality. Abraham immediately had the right, though, to declare himself to be all that God said he was. There are several scriptures, Romans 4.3, Genesis 15.6, Galatians 3.6, James 2.23, they all say it this way. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So if you believe God, when he says that your sins are forgiven, it's accounted to you as righteousness, you're truly forgiven, you're truly saved. You have a right to be and you have a right to declare your righteousness. If you believe what he says about you, you get to walk out of this place, you get to walk out into the world, you get to walk back into your family, you get to walk into Thanksgiving dinners, you get to walk into Christmas parties at work and say, I'm righteous. I am saved. I'm born again. I'm completely forgiven. I get to declare who I am and that reality that I'm leaning into that eventually is gonna, I'm going to see the fruits of that, but I get to declare it from day one. I can think back to, to the day that I got saved, and I don't know how much I believed, but I needed it to be true, and I began to declare things to Mary. Like, I'm different. I'm changed. I'm not who I was yesterday when I saw you. I'm different. And she did not believe me at all. <laughs> But it doesn't matter if she believes me or not. What matters is I believe what God said. God says that if I put my faith in him, he will not fail me. He says if I repent and ask for forgiveness, I'll be forgiven. Because he says that, I get to walk in that from day one, not some other day, not further down the road, not when my life looks better, not when things are falling into place, but from day one, I get to declare those things. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Abraham was not righteous in his own right. He just believed God and that made him righteous. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Your sins are not tracking you down. They're not following you. They're not a sign on your back. There's not this bubble hovering over you that's telling people this is who they really are. God says he's cast them as far as the east is from the west. If you're still uh, convinced, convicted, condemned by the things that you've done in your past, what you're actually doing, doing is leaning back into that false reality. When you should be leaning forward into the truth, which is my, my sins and my transgressions are cast as far as the east is from the west. Ask yourself, when you look at other people, do you see their sin? Is that the first thing that pops up? Where they're falling short? What they've done? Who they really are? I'm pretty sure that's how you look at yourself too, even if you try to hide it. To me, this is simple. It's understandable. It's truth. It's steadfast. We can stand upon it. Uh, but it's not easy to lean into. It's not easy to walk in the truth about salvation and righteousness and being right, being whole, being forgiven. Let's look at it. Simple to understand, but not easy to walk in. This is Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to stay there uh, this whole morning. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. 
It says, now it happened on a certain day as Jesus was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. I want to stop there for one second. Luke 5, we're at verse 18. It says, Jesus is teaching, and it wasn't just regular people coming around. It was the Pharisees. It was the church. It was the, the good Christians. It was the people that knew what God wanted for them. And the Bible says that the power of the Lord was there to heal them. I think it's amazing how often leaders, how often uh, good Christians, how often faithful church attenders don't think that we're the ones that need to be healed. We think it's the other people that need to be healed. We think it's our other friends and family and the unchurched. This story, Jesus is there and these leaders are coming in and it says the power of God was there to heal them. I feel that way about every single service. I feel that way about every time we gather and get with the word of God. The power of God is there to heal us and change us. But then it swifts, it switches to this paralyzed man. They sought to bring him in and lay him before the Lord. Verse 19, and when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop, let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. They were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Great story. Say amen if you heard it before. Amen. All right. Jesus says here that the authority to forgive sins comes at a high price, and it requires a power beyond that which can cause a man who has been paralyzed his whole life to stand and walk. Let me say that again. Jesus is talking to all those people in the room, and he's saying, listen, you're amazed at the power I have. You're, you've been hearing how I'm healing the blind, that the deaf hear, that, that the lame walk. He's saying, that is nothing compared to what it takes, the power required, the cost that I had to pay to be able to forgive somebody of sins. He's saying we're not even on the same playing field when you want to talk about power, when you want to talk about authority. He says it's easy. He asked them actually, which is easier to say? Is it easier to say stand and walk to somebody who has a broken body or is it easy to say you are forgiven your sins? Their faith, this group that was there that brought this friend in, verse 20 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. Their faith was accounted as righteousness. Stay with me this morning. Abraham, it says that his faith was accounted as righteousness. When he believed God, when God said, you're going to have descendants, you're going to leave your family, you're going to leave your city, you're going to go out, I'm going to take you places and show you things like never before. He believed God, it was accounted as righteousness. When they believed that Jesus could change their friend's life, 
Right? It was accounted as righteousness. All they had to do was believe, and then Jesus said, you're forgiven of your sins. You are now right with God. You are now right with me. You are now right in this world. Your sins are forgiven you. It was accounted to, to them for righteousness just like Abraham's was. The last message I preached, I appreciate what, uh, what RJ said about the armor uh, as he prayed for us this morning as we opened up. The last message I preached here was that very same scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, about the armor of God. Verse 14 of Ephesians 6 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Say righteousness. Yes. <clears throat> Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It literally means believe the truth and put on righteousness. Or lean into the reality of your righteousness that you found by believing the truth about who Jesus is. Lean into it. He says, gird your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Another way to say that is, it's a reality. Lean into it. Because you believe what the word says about Jesus, because you believe that and you've girded yourself with that truth, lean into this reality that you are righteous. Put it on right in front, your breastplate of righteousness. Lean into that reality. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, it talks about something similar. It says, let those of us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. We always think about just Ephesians. You should read it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. In Ephesians, it's called the breastplate of righteousness. Here in Thessalonians, it's called the breastplate of faith and love. Isn't that a great definition of righteousness? Righteousness is faith and love. To believe and to love is what makes us righteous. If you believe in Jesus, who he says that he is, and you love him, you will be made righteous. Amen. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he actually is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You will not be made righteous if you don't believe in God. God says the only thing you have to have is faith. You have to believe in me that I actually exist and that I reward those who come looking for me. Amen. Matthew chapter 22 verse 35 says, One of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus has been given to us as a provision um, to be able to lean into the reality of salvation, uh, reality of this hope that God's given us. And he says that if we just believe and love him and love others as ourselves, that will be saved. He said that we'll be made righteous. That's how you get to be righteous. Nothing else. They asked Jesus, there's so many laws, so many things that we're supposed to do. What's the most important? He says, you have to believe. You have to have faith. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you have to love. I love what First uh, Thessalonians says. It makes more sense every time I read it now. Put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The breath of life, right? In uh, Genesis, we talk about Adam 
being formed, created, and then God breathes this, this breath of life into him. But when we read about sin, it says that because of how Adam sinned, what we all get from Adam is death. Like he, we get life like babies are born. I just ran into a friend yesterday and uh, he's got a new little baby and we held the baby and we were excited for him and me and Mary were thinking, should we have more babies? And then we gave the baby back and we're like, no. <laughs> But it's so cool, like you see this baby and there's life and, it, and you see in the eyes and there's joy and there's peace and, and the baby like just cries and the, the dad knew what the baby wanted and all that kind of stuff. But then as, as Christians and, and as pastors, we realize, man, that kid's a sinner. Like that kid, that kid needs Jesus just like everybody else. It's not going to take long for those of you that have toddlers. We know like their sin is identified quick. Soon as they can, soon as, before they can even walk, they start sinning. They understand no, and they say, I don't care what you said, Dad. I don't care what you said, Mom. We get that from Adam. It's in us, right? So that initial life that we get from our parents, that we got from their parents, that we get all the way back to Adam, uh, it eventually leads to death, right? If you, if you haven't heard uh, the scripture, you need to mark it down in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. It says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And it's making this contrast between Adam and Jesus, right? Adam became a living being. God breathed life into him. There was just an existence, and then there was life breathed into him. But he became a sinner, and all he does is pass on sin. The last Adam, who is Jesus, becomes a life-giving spirit. John 20, 20 says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It's probably two of my favorite scriptures. And, and as I think about it, it's John 20, 20. Uh, I think it's going to be my, my vision personally for, for next year, uh, 2020. This idea that when you see Jesus for who he really is, which is holes in his hands and a hole in his side to pay for your sins, you begin to see everything else more clearly. His disciples saw that and they were so happy to see him. And then what he says that he did is once you see me for who I am, that life giving spirit that only he has, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Be born again. You now have a life inside of you. I'm a life-giving spirit as, as Lord and Savior. You now have a life inside of you that is superseding the life that Adam had, that Adam gave you. One was going to lead you to death eventually. This one is going to lead you to eternal life. So good. So how do you lean into that reality? How do you not lean back into that darkness and all the lies about yourself and the lies about your past and the lies about your future? You understand Jesus for who he really is. You understand that you are righteous from day one and you lean into that because he's breathed this life-giving spirit into you. Number two, the church. I want to stay in, uh, in Luke here. After this man is healed of his paralysis, the scripture goes on to verse 27. It says, after these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Say, follow me. Follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed Jesus. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So good. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Right? We, we read already about how we get our righteousness from him just by having faith, just by believing him for who he says he is. And he says, I'm not coming for those that are already righteous, either those who have already have faith in me, right, the right way, or those who have self-righteousness who think they don't need a Savior, that don't have to believe in me. I'm not coming for them. I'm coming for sick people. The sick people are the tax collectors. The sick people, the sick people are uh, those who are sinners that know that they need a Savior. That's who I came for. I came to call them into repentance. So number two is the church. The church is a place where men and women are compelled by Christ to follow Christ giving you definitions this morning. The church is the place where men and women are compelled by Christ to follow Christ. Verse 27 says, After these things, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. We have to lean into that reality. Unless Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, calls someone to follow him, they will not do it. This is one of the hardest things for us as believers is, I want to make people follow Jesus. I want to help people follow Jesus. I want to do everything I can. I want to tell them about Jesus. I want to love them like Jesus loved them. I want to hold them accountable. I want to walk with them. I want to hold their hand. But you know what? That doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus has to, through his spirit, call somebody and say, follow me. If that doesn't happen, they'll never follow him. If they're following you and what you told them or me and what I told them and how we're trying to walk them along and how we're trying to hold their hand, that will not be a saving grace. It will not be salvation and it will not last. Jesus called Levi and Levi left everything to follow Jesus. It's so good. That's what the church is supposed to be, a place where people can hear the voice of God saying, follow me. Give your life to me. I can make you righteous. I can forgive you. I can give you a new reality. We can desire, we can try, we can want, we can beg, but our part is actually just to live in faith and in love towards God and each other. Amen. We have to live in faith. We have to know what we're actually leaning into. We have to love God and we have to love each other, and then we just pray for everybody else. We can't force anybody to want God. We can't force anybody to love God. We can't force anybody to walk faithfully with God. John 6, I think it is helpful. It says, no one can come to me. This is Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus says, they're not coming because you want them to. My Father will send his Spirit, and he'll compel people to come to me. And he says, if that happens, I'll raise them up at the last day, and they'll have eternal life. Anything short of that ain't going to work. And then Jesus shows us that example with Levi, this tax collector. So it's a place where, where people come and they hear Christ compel them to follow him. The church is also a place where sinners find forgiveness only through repentance. Then it becomes a place where newly exiled, newly isolated, newly excommunicated men and women find a place to call home, find a place to find peace, and find a place to find healing. Amen. So listen, if you go through this process of giving your life to the Lord, uh, asking for forgiveness of your sin, repenting and turning to Jesus, uh, you're going to find yourself isolated. <laughs> you're going to find yourself excommunicated. Um, you're going to find yourself in exile. But the church is supposed to be the place where you can say, oh, I, but I have a home. I have a place where I can actually find peace. And I have a place uh, where I can be healed. 
I remember what it was like when, when I got saved and the church was literally the only place that I had peace. I didn't know anybody in the church and it was a small church, but I felt safe there for the two hours I was there every week. The rest of the time when I was out of that place, I felt like I was definitely leaning back into that darkness where everything was just chaos. Everything was terrible. And then I'd step into the church, sing a few songs that I didn't know, hang out with a couple people I didn't know. But for whatever reason, it felt right and it felt safe. And then I read back through scriptures like this where it's like, man, this church is supposed to be this place where you can find a home, where you can find peace and where you can begin to be healed. So check out what happens to, to Levi. He's called, he becomes a disciple, he gets a new name, his name is Matthew, he wrote uh, the gospel for us here, uh, filled by the Holy Spirit. But he was already hated by the Jews because he was a tax collector. If you read through your scriptures, there were Jews that were responsible to the Romans to, re- to collect taxes from all the other Jews, and the Jews hated him because, like, man, you work for the enemy. <laughs> you work for the man, and they're oppressing us. They haven't done a, 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 a day's work out here, and they come and take all our money. And we're paying taxes, but they ain't fixing our roads or fixing our community or taking care of us, and you work for them. So everybody hates Levi already. Then he gives his life to, to Jesus, and now the small band of people that, that he did have a little community, uh, community with, the other tax collectors, now they hate him. They're like, man, you're going to leave us? We're supposed to stick together. The rest of the Jews hate us, and you're one of us. We're all tax collectors, and now he's pulled out of that, and he gets this new identity. So everybody hates him now. He's an outcast, but he finds a new identity. He finds a new family in this time of extreme uncertainty and fear in the church. Everything, he's losing every. He already lost most of everything he had in his culture and his community. Then he has this small group like many of us have found when you've lost everything, but you still have a few good friends. And then because of Christ, you even lose them. And the church is supposed to be the place where you're able to find peace and identity, comfort, love, healing. Amen. Is that what the church is? That's right. This time in our lives is such a hard time to lean into that new reality. And that's why many of us don't make it. A lot of people don't make it into true faith and into deep faith because when they get to this part that uh, Levi was in and that I was in and that many of you have been in and you will watch other people come into the church and go through, when they get to that place, it's so hard to lean in that they lean back and they never find true faith. They never find saving faith. They never find uh, commitment to Jesus in a way that Jesus says those who endure to the end will be saved, not those who start off well. But it's not always their fault. Sometimes it's the church's fault for not being the church. Yes, amen. The church is supposed to be the provision. The church is God's answer to this hard time. It's way too common how many people pull back at this, at this point. John chapter 2, verse 23, and take this to heart, please. John 2, 23 says, When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and he had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Think about that for a second. As Christians, this should kind of blow our minds and make us think twice about what we believe. It says that people were coming to Jesus, seeing who he was, seeing what he could do. And it says, we believe in you. We see your power. We see your miracles. And then it says, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew these people are not really committed to me. 
They see the miracle. They're eating the food that I'm providing and multiplying for them. They saw their friend get healed that was blind and paralyzed and is no longer blind and paralyzed. But that is not what it takes to get to heaven. You have to recognize me as God, as Lord and Savior. You have to be willing to walk away from everyone and everything and follow me for the rest of your life. Therefore, you can say you believe in me, but I won't commit myself to you because I know the truth about you. The church is supposed to bridge that gap. The church is supposed to be the place where somebody comes and says, I believe, just like the man that wanted his son healed, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. What Jesus is ultimately saying to a man like that is, I'm going to show you who I am, but you better go to a place where you can begin to lean into that. You have to endure. You have to get from, I believe in what I see you actually doing and what I'm feeling changing, to I believe no matter what I see and no matter what I feel. Amen? Amen. Man, as a church, can we lean into that truth instead of leaning back into the lie of what we thought the church was supposed to be? Many of us still go to church based on what we thought the church was supposed to be before we got saved. And many of us, sadly, we still come to church with what we want church to be instead of what it's actually supposed to be. It's supposed to be the place where people can hear the voice of Jesus saying, follow me. It's supposed to be a place where when people are in exile, excommunicated and isolated, they can find a place to call home where they can be healed, where they can find peace and where they can begin to lean into the truth about what salvation really is so that Jesus will commit himself to them. And we have to be a people and a group and a congregation and a place where people can come in and find all those things. And if our focus is on ourselves and our, our personal desires and not on that, we're going to see man after man and woman after woman say, I believe, and then disappear. Not to go to another church, to go to hell eventually. The last one, the church. <laughs> Jesus, the church, and the church. We're going to stick in Luke 5. So he has this experience, which is a great experience with Levi. I love that Levi becomes Matthew. I love that Matthew becomes a writer of the gospel. I love that he remained faithful until he died a martyr's death like all the other disciples except for John, right? Like, there's, there's a lot to learn there. He lost everything, yeah. right? And he was a wealthy man as a tax collector, and none of that mattered. He says, just like Paul, Paul says, what? Everything I've gained, I count as loss for Christ, right? That's the story of what everybody's salvation is supposed to be like. When Steve gets up here and he's like, he just wants one out of $10, like, that ain't salvation talk. Salvation talk is everything I, I have, I count it as loss. Last one, the church. Luke chapter 5 goes on, verse 33. Then, I think Luke by, chapter 5 might be my, my new favorite chapter of the Bible. There's so much. And... <laughs> and <laughs> Before we even get to what we've covered from verse 17, if you go back, uh, it, it just so good. Verse, verse 33, then Jesus, then Jesus said to him, uh, or then they said to Jesus, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours, they eat and drink. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. 
Otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the, burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. So there's two points for the church this morning because there's two parts to the church. There is the church that gathers here in this building where Jesus calls men and women to follow him. This is the part where we worship together and we sit under the teaching and the preaching of the word together, right? This is one part. We gather on Sundays. We, we come in and we praise the Lord together and we hit the altar and we pray over the kids and they go upstairs and we get the word of God out and it's preached and it's taught and we do all these things. That's one part of the church. The second part of the church is what happens when we leave this place. Last week, Pastor Steve from South Africa, he said that he's been in many churches. He's part of a, uh, of a ministry that has 26 churches in South Africa. And he's, he, I was talking to him. We drove to the airport after service last week. And uh, he said that he preaches in his church maybe once or twice a month because he's out at all those other churches that he ministers to throughout the year, not only locally, but, but internationally. Uh, hopefully you guys were blessed by him last week. I know I was. Amen. And uh, he said something when he was here that, that, uh, that I hope you didn't miss. He said, I've been in so many churches in so many places, but I have never seen anything like your guys' post-worship meet and greet. He said, the way that you guys grab the hold of each other and you spend all that time hugging and catching up and talking and, and all that kind of stuff. He said, I've never seen anything like that. I remind you of that because I believe with all my heart that we're on to something here. And I believe that we've all felt it, right? Sometimes we feel it more. Sometimes we feel it less. Sometimes we can't wait because we've been missing it. We're like, man, I need a hug and all that kind of stuff. And other times, like, I hope nobody tries to say hi to me today because I don't feel like it. Like... But regardless of how you feel, you know it's real, and you have felt it here in this place in a special way, just like an outsider can come in and one day and say, hey, that's unique, that's special, Amen. right? I can tell you that having not had that for the last five weeks, it's reminded me of how precious it actually is. Love and friendship is so precious, yes. so special. You know, one of the first words... Uh, uh, I got on our time off, it was the first week, and I actually got it from Mary. She said, I think sometimes we forget how valuable friendships are and how valuable relationships are, you know? The fact that we turned off our phones and we weren't doing text, we weren't doing social media, we weren't doing email, we weren't doing any of that stuff, I think within the first couple of days, Mary was able to say, man, I, I miss talking to my people. Yeah. <laughs> so valuable. Our life groups have been a step in that direction I think we're attempting to go deeper into this loving one another thing 24-7, right? Not just on Sundays, not just meet and greet between worship and the message. It's like, hey, what about one time this week, let's gather and actually get to know each other. Let's eat meals together. Let's show up when we're happy. Let's show up when we're frustrated and really do relationship with one another, right? Yeah. Let me tell you that this is not our big idea here at The Way. It's God's big idea. <laughs> It's his provision for leaning into the reality of faith and hope and love. This 24-7 relationship thing is a provision that God has given the church to be able to lean into the reality of love, relationship, hope, faith. And I think we need to take advantage of it. 
Listen to what he says in verse 33. Why do the disciples of John fast often? They make prayers. The Pharisees, they do the same. But yours eat and drink. And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Jesus says, listen, my disciples eat and drink and they enjoy life together because they're with me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I am the bridegroom and they're with me. How could they fast and how could they be sad if they're with me? There's absolutely no reason for them not to be identified as men and women who have a perpetual joy. The same is supposed to be said about you and I. We are going to have hard times. Somebody say amen. Amen. We're going to have bad days. Somebody say amen. amen. But it doesn't matter. If we're with Christ and we're with each other, we should be characterized as men and women who have some perpetual joy. That's what Jesus says when he's asking, listen, uh, John's John's disciples, they fast and and they cry and and they're always in these prayer meetings. And the the Pharisees' disciples, man, they fast and they pray and they they throw dirt on themselves and, and they're always crying. Like, how come yours are over here eating and hanging out and they're like the life of the party? He's like, they're with me. Amen. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick and his wife's going through it right now. But why is he having such He's with me. Uh, that guy Levi, you changed his name to Matthew and he just lost everything and everybody he knows. Why is he hanging out with these other 11 guys and just laughing and eating? He's with me. They were created to be in relationship with me, and they're in relationship with me. It's pretty hard to be sad when you find yourself in that place. And God says the church is supposed to be a community of 11, 12, 15, 50, 100, 5,000 that are in community with Jesus all the time. Constantly reminding each other like, hey, this week is your week to be Levi who lost everything, but you're with us, so we're going to rejoice in Christ. So as we've returned from our time away, we approach the end of another year, and we approach the beginning of, a, of a, an important year, I think, with 2020, uh, I want to, in hope, lean into the reality of loving each other better and better in this second part of the church. I think we're pretty good at the first part when we gather here. I think we're pretty good about lifting up the name of Jesus and worshiping together and loving on each other and uh, encouraging each other. Uh, I think we've started on the right direction with life groups, but, uh, but I think we can do better and better at loving each other. I think we can lean, lean into that reality and help others to lean into that reality. Put your arms around your brothers and sisters more than one day a week and be able to say, I feel you leaning back, but I wanna, I wanna lean forward so you can see what else is available to us and for us and what God has provided for us. Verse 37 says, Jesus says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both will be preserved. No one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. What we've had so far at the way has been amazing, uh, but in order to have what God, I believe, has for us next, we need new wineskins that are ready for new wine. Yes. Amen. New wineskins ready for new wine. If we don't stretch ourselves, if we don't humble ourselves, if we don't make room for new and different things, when God pours them out into our old wineskins, they'll burst and everything will be lost. 
that make sense? I think God wants to do it. I feel like we're like Abraham uh, in hope against hope. We still believe like God. The answer is yes. Two plus two is not four. It's like zero plus point five is a million. Like, God, you're going to do something in hope beyond hope is, is where we're at with you. But if God does that, which I believe he will, and he begins to pour things out, if we have old wineskins, it won't matter what he's pouring out because it'll burst and it'll be lost. It'll be lost in your family. It'll be lost in the church family. It'll be lost in the other areas that God wanted to do miraculously things. Our focus needs to be on new wineskins. And I love the last thing that Jesus says, no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. There may be some of you who like things just the way they are. Like, this is good wine. It's good. It's way better than what I had before. It's aged. We've been working on it. Like, like it's good. Jesus says, anybody who tastes new wine, they don't like it immediately. They're like, man, I remember what it was like before. <laughs> I had worked my wine skin. It was perfect. and Got to drink it when I wanted, where I wanted, sit where I wanted, do what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. And it was just perfect. It was the way that we wanted the way to be. And then Jesus says, but it doesn't matter. New wine, new wine skin, something new, something better, something further, something beyond. So I wonder what will happen if we begin to hope for something greater. I wonder what will happen if we begin to lean into that, that reality, uh, that, that video from, from Wonder Woman. Uh, to me, it just painted such a good picture of that first guy. He stuck his hand in, then he stuck his face in, and the reality is in the movie, you know, they're the bad guys. <laughs> and the bad guys are just willing to go in because they're, they're chasing after this, uh, this spy. But man, we're the good guys. And we should be willing to go in because we're chasing after Jesus. Yeah. We're chasing after like, man, there's this whole other world. And that's, if you look at Jesus' preaching, if you look at what he was trying to tell the disciples, he was like, man, there's another world. And I'm trying to show you what it's about. I'm going to die and raise from the dead. I'm going to go into that world. I'm going to be compelling you. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to leave you with authority. I just need you to lean into it and see yourself, see salvation, see righteousness, see the church, and see the church extended beyond the, 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 the weekly gatherings for what it's supposed to be. And all these amazing things will happen. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray for these things this morning. <clears throat> so I said when we started that, uh, that the title of the message was longing, not so much for the content, but for where I'm preaching it from. But now that I'm, I'm done sharing, uh, I feel like maybe I was wrong. Uh, I think it was for the content. We should be longing for uh, that other reality. We should be longing uh, to be able to lean in and see things that we hadn't seen before. We should be longing to be able to proclaim our righteousness, not because of anything we've done, but that just like Abraham, his faith was accounted to him as righteousness, that just the fact that you believe makes you righteous. Somebody can say to you, but didn't you do this last year? Wasn't your family built... Uh, in this place of just like destruction and sin. The things that you have, didn't you actually uh, gain them in a way that was, was, wasn't right, it was unholy and so on and so forth? And just yesterday, didn't you post this or didn't you say that or, or aren't you harboring this or that? And you get to say, yeah, but I believe in Jesus. And he says, that he became sin, 
even though he knew no sin, that I could be the righteousness of God. He says that if I put my faith in him, my sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, and I'm declared righteous. So from this moment forward, I don't care about what has happened in my past. It doesn't define me. I have a new identity. That was, that was Levi, but now I'm Matthew. That was uh, Hadassah, but, but, but now I'm Esther. I'm about to be a queen. What are you talking about? Can we lean into that reality for you this morning about a new identity, about just being able to have your faith accounted as righteousness? It says that your faith and your love is, is what makes you righteous. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, uh, I want to talk to the only two groups who are in the room this morning, the saved and the unsaved. So if you're saved, heads bowed, eyes closed, and you just would like prayer, I'm not going to call you out of your seat this morning, but if you would like prayer that, that you would be able to lean into that reality that you are righteous. You're not a guilty man or woman walking around in this world evading the law. You are right. You are right with God. You are forgiven. You are completely forgiven. You are not condemned. If you want prayer just for that reality to be your reality that you can lean into, would you just raise your hand so I can make sure that we pray for you? Hallelujah. I see you guys. Amen. You can put your hand down. We said earlier that it's easy to understand, but it's hard to lean into, and it's hard to, to, uh, to really make that your reality, but I believe it's possible because God says so. For the other group, if, if you're not saved, and maybe you've heard somewhere that it takes a lot, <laughs> And so many things have to happen. But maybe somehow this morning, you've heard the voice of the Lord calling you. We said earlier that nobody gets saved unless the Spirit of God compels them to give their life to Jesus. I'm hoping that somehow this morning in worship, somehow this morning in the word that was shared, somehow in whatever it is that's been going on in your life that, that led you into this building this morning, somehow you're hearing God and you know in your heart that he wants you and you know in your heart that you want him all I want to tell you this morning is that it's a simple decision you just have to believe God it's faith and love if you believe him that you can be saved if you believe him that he died on a cross for you if you believe that Jesus was perfect so that you don't have to be perfect you can be saved this morning if you'd like to take that step of faith, if you'd like to, to uh, make that your new reality, I can tell you that it's going to be very difficult over the next season of your life, but it's worth it. Leaning back into your old life and into that old darkness and just going back to things how they were, it's never going to give you peace. I can also tell you that as hard as it's going to get, there'll always be some people around you that will love you and help you. And that you'll find peace, you'll find joy, you'll find forgiveness, you'll find a new life, you'll find new identity, you'll find hope that goes against hope. But you got to make a decision. So if that's you, the heads are bowed, eyes are closed, you want to, you've heard Christ calling you and today you just want to answer and give your life to him. Would you raise your hand so that I can see you? Hallelujah, Lord. Anybody this morning? Hallelujah. It's just a decision. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So the last two, and then I'm going to open the altars for prayer. I'm going to open the altars for communion.
If God spoke to you this morning about the church, what this place is supposed to be on, on Sundays when we gather, I don't know what it might be, what it is that God's bringing uh, confirmation or conviction into your life about when it comes to the church. Uh, but we did share what it's supposed to be here and how men and women are supposed to be able to come and find Christ and be able to be healed here. That it's not about us, it's about them. It's the work that God wants to do in their life. When I open the altars, if that's you, you don't have to share it with me. The prayer team will pray with you. But, uh, but I'd ask that you would be strong enough and bold enough to just come and say, Lord, I want, I want the church to be what you say the church needs to be. I want people to have that Levi to Matthew experience where they lose everything, but they gain everything. That's what you said, Jesus. You said those who lose their lives will gain their lives. That's what I want our church to be, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be a healthy part of that. If that's you, when we open the altars, would you come and be prayed for? And then the last one, uh, that deepening church outside of this place, that other six days of the week beyond your life group, within your life group, but beyond it, that God maybe ministered to you this morning and said, listen, we can go deeper in love. We can lean further into the reality that we need each other. If you know that you want to be a better friend, you want to be a better member of the church, you want to be a better believer, you want to be in your words, you want to be in your prayers, you want to be able to support others as they go through this journey, you want to be able to be one that, that, that Christ would say, uh, the reason she's so happy all the time is because she's with me. The reason he's so joyful all the time is because he's with me. And when he has bad days, he's not alone because he's not just a Sunday church member. He's not just a life group member. He is a member of the body of Christ 24-7. He has everything he needs. She has everything that she needs. I think we can all grow in this area. We don't have to wait till next year. We can begin to pray about that this morning. And then the last group, as always, we never know what God is doing. It might have nothing to do with the message that was preached, but you know you felt him. You know that you need him. You know that you need to be at the altar. They're open for you as well. So, Lord, as we gather for communion and as we gather for prayer, Lord, we come into this place not just to sit but to participate, Lord. We've come and we've lifted up your name. We've worshiped you, Lord. We've sat under your teaching and your preaching this morning, God. You are alive and well. You have spoken to us, Lord, in ways that go beyond the sound from our pastor as he shares, Lord. You are the one that uh, brings things into existence that did not exist. You call dead things and you give them life, Lord. Our desire as we come to this altar, we will receive communion and remembrance of your body being broken for us, your blood being shed for us, Lord. But we also want you to, to breathe life into some areas of our life this morning. They exist, but we need you to breathe life. Jesus, the same way that you breathed on your disciples when they saw the holes in your hand, they saw the hole in your side, you breathed on them and you said, receive my spirit. You are a life-giving spirit, and we expect, Lord, you to breathe life into us this morning, God. We don't care how we come. We bring nothing to the altar. We bring nothing, God. But we expect to leave from this altar with so much more. All that you have for us. So have your way. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus. Communion's open. Altar's open. You can come and be prayed for. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. I was blind, but these eyes 
love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.